Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. This week, we're going to be looking at one of the top teams in the Western Conference, the Oklahoma City Thunder. I'm here today with Nathan Smith. And Nathan, how are you? I'm doing pretty good, Nick. I appreciate you having me. I'm ready to talk some Oklahoma City Thunder basketball. And let's start by talking some Oklahoma City Thunder basketball with the biggest move that they made this offseason, the blockbuster trade for Paul George. At the time, the deal, which was Paul George for Victor Oladipo, DeMontis Sabonis, and no draft picks, looked like an absolute heist for the Thunder. The deal, interestingly enough, has actually looked a lot worse in hindsight, not because Paul George has been anything short of excellent, but because Victor Oladipo has been so incredible in Indiana. Now, I think that this trade was still worthwhile for the Thunder to make, but what were your thoughts on the Paul George deal? Well, when you look at how well Victor Oladipo has done this year, it does make you pause a little bit and wonder if it was a good trade or not. But at the end of the day, I think that um, it's a move you have to make. And you've got Russell Westbrook. You've just point blank got to surround him with with another uh, premier and elite talent. And Paul George is one of the best two-way players in the league on the offensive and defensive end just recently named an all-star replacement. So at the end of the day, I think you have to be happy with it, but um, it is a a little bit worrisome seeing how well um, Oladipo and Sabonis have done. There are two things about the Oladipo aspect of this that I think are not discussed enough. The first is that Oladipo himself has publicly said that Russell Westbrook and his work ethic made a huge impact on Oladipo's career. The other point is that I don't think it would have been possible for Victor Oladipo to be this kind of player in Oklahoma City because really where he's thrived in Indiana, but even when he was at his best in Orlando before he made it to the Thunder, was when he had the ball in his hands. And ultimately, when you're on a team with Russell Westbrook, you are not going to be the number one scoring option, especially you're not going to be the number one scoring option in the backcourt. But now in Indiana, Oladipo is kind of the alpha and the omega of that team. So even though Oladipo has been incredible in Indiana, I don't think it would have even been possible for him to play this way if he stayed in Oklahoma City. Yeah, I think that's very well said. Uh, Last year, his wasn't really um, used as much as I thought he would be going into the year. And he did have, you know, fairly decent chemistry with Westbrook. But obviously, he's a player that's going to thrive more with the ball in his hands. And I think you alluded to it perfectly. And Indiana has got every chance to do that. Um, They're trying to play somewhat of a pace-up style. And especially with the Miles Turner injury that's cost him um, multiple weeks, you know, Oladipo is definitely the focal point there. And he's he's really getting a chance to shine, um, as we can see by his all-star bid as well. And while it is nice to see Oladipo shining in Indiana, ultimately this is a Thunder podcast. So let's talk about the Thunder side of this. Paul George has been one of the best defensive players in the league this year. For much of the season, he's led the league in deflections and steals, and he and Andre Oberson have been the driving forces in Oklahoma City being, for a lot of the year, a top-five defense, currently fourth in the league per basketball reference and in terms of points per game allowed. Steven Adams has played a large role in that as well. It's not fair to downplay his impact, but the defensive tandem of Paul George and Andre Roberson has been probably the best forward tandem on the defensive end in the league. 
But the Paul George trade was not the only major trade that the Thunder made this offseason. So let's look quickly at the other one, which was their deal for Carmelo Anthony. Now, that deal didn't look as one-sided at the time. And at multiple points this year has looked like a pretty bad deal for the Thunder. But in recent weeks, Carmelo's adjusted his offensive role. And I think now he's starting to fit in a lot better to the Thunder offense than he had been earlier in the year. Yeah, I definitely like the um, the way that Carmelo is being used now as he's accepted his role. Um, in a recent interview, I saw him give, he mentioned how um, certain defensive mistakes would be the type of thing where guys like Russ and PG would hold them accountable in team meetings or when they're watching film in kind of like a, um, you know, a friendly, you know, brother type of way, like, Hey man, why are you missing those screens? Or why are you missing those? Um, you know, whatever, whatever it may be. And he talked about, um, how that had made him kind of refocus his energy and play a little harder on defense, which you would have thought he would have, you know, already been doing, but as far as him replacing Cantor, if you look at it like that, I do like how Mello fits with the starting unit. Um, Cantor was a guy that I did really like, but when we got into the playoff series against the Houston Rockets, um, he really became a liability on the defensive end. He was just getting pick and rolled to death. And I think there were a couple games where he played around 10 or 11 minutes. He might even have got a, a DNP in one of them, if I remember correctly. So while Carmelo isn't is is by no means a, a great defensive upgrade or anything, I think that with his current role that he's adjusted to and the um, never ending improvement of Stephen Adams, I think that Thunder will definitely be stronger in that area come postseason. And at the end of the day, I I think they still they still won won that trade for themselves. But you could really consider it more of a a win win since New York has relied so heavily on Cantor this year. Carmelo has also played more power forward this season than at any other point in his career. According to Basketball References lineup data, he's played 90% of his minutes at power forward this year and actually 10% of his minutes at center. So granted, those lineup numbers kind of are a bit fuzzy in terms of modern positionless basketball. You could declare Carmelo either the power forward or the small forward in whatever lineup he was in, depending on how you felt. But it is interesting that someone who was an all-star and all-NBA small forward for the vast majority of his career is almost exclusively a power forward in Oklahoma City. Yeah, that is, that is a little bit odd. I think it worked out perfectly for Carmelo that within the last couple of years especially, we've seen the NBA transition to more of that positionless type of basketball. Carmelo probably can't really play the three very effectively anymore. I'm sure he'd be just the same on the offensive end, but he would be a little more exposed on the defensive end going against some of the more elite small forwards in the league. But as a four, um, I think it's perfect on the Thunder with Steven Adams anchoring the middle, being that strong defensive presence he can play next to. So he's really not um, heard as a, at 6'8", as an undersized player. And if anything, he often gets uh, smaller guys guarding him on the offensive end so he can kind of play that that bully ball in the post that he's accustomed to, which he did seem to do a lot of over his career, um, despite not really playing the four. The thing about Carmelo is that he was always kind of bulky for his height as a small forward. And so playing him at power forward, while it is sort of a small ball move, 
Carmelo's always been arguably a better post defender than he has been a wing defender in terms of chasing guys around on the perimeter. He's a lot more suited to bang down low, and that comes into play on the offensive end, as you mentioned, with his post touches. But I think it's also important to think about the defensive aspect of it. And Carmelo's never exactly been a spectacular defensive player, but I think he's a lot more suited to be a post defender than he is to be chasing guys around beyond the three-point line. Yeah, absolutely. He, while he could, you know, go quote-unquote chase around a Ryan Anderson type um, as a power forward, a guy that's, you know, just a a guy there for spacing, a stretch four, um, he certainly could not do that if it was, you know, let's say like a, a Chris Middleton type or something like that. I mean, that that's just a matchup where Chris Middleton could just eat all day or in any of those um, wing types that, you know, have a jumper or are pretty active coming off ball screens. That's just not something Carmelo can really do. So especially with the presence of Adams there, I think that that just, you know, kind of kind of helps out um, Carmelo to where he doesn't really have as much pressure on the defensive end. It's more about just do your assignment, you know, give us give us average defense, you know, make the plays you're supposed to, and his offensive game will, will will carry the rest for him. So we will talk more about the Thunder's other free agent slash trade acquisitions, really just their free agent acquisitions later in the podcast. So let's instead talk about Terrence Ferguson, their first round draft pick from this last year. They took him with the 21st pick after an up-and-down season overseas playing with the Adelaide 36ers, where he decided to go instead of going to college. And Ferguson has had some incredible games and incredible plays, but overall, it's been, like most rookie seasons, honestly, kind of an inconsistent up-and-down year with Ferguson. That being said, he did start the first game in Andre Roberson's place after Roberson's injury, so we may see a lot more of Ferguson in the coming weeks than we have so far. Yeah, and I like Terrence Ferguson as a player. I am definitely excited to, to see him um, as a rotational guy. I do think that he's, as the season goes on, um, and like you said, we'll allude more to this as far as um, the potential trade market, but I do think as the season goes on, he might tend to get a little exposed on defense. Um, let's take... Just for a random example, let's take the Portland Trailblazers. Um, I'm not really confident at all in him having to go out and guard a CJ McCollum. Um, you could say maybe switch Paul George onto him. You know, we would see about that. But I do like what Ferguson brings for now, and that's a, a guy that I'd like to see play about 15 minutes in the rotation. Hopefully, with the um, with the second unit that's most adept to uh, getting out and running, um, as we saw in his kind of Welcome to the NBA game. I think it was against the Clippers, I want to say. He had several highlight reel dunks. So put him in a spot where he can use his athleticism. Um, To me, that's probably much more so with the second unit than the first unit. But at the end of the day, with Andre Roberson gone, the Thunder sort of is limited on options. So for now, he might, might very well be the best starting option at the two. All right, let's move from talking about the offseason and go into a review of the regular season so far. And I wanted to start that out by going through some of OKC's best and worst games this season. And both of the games in the best games category were against the two participants in last year's NBA Finals. And I wanted to start with their 
January 20th game against the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Thunder put up 148 points in this game. And it's hard to even wrap your head around 148 points in regulation, but through a pretty adept combination of the Thunder playing incredibly on the offensive end and Cleveland playing absolutely abysmal defense. Both of these teams basically just spent the entire contest running up and down the floor, but the Thunder outscored Cleveland 43 to 24 in the first quarter. And it was basically just over after that. Yeah, that game, I really don't think the Cavs gave hardly any effort, to be honest with you. Um, That was the infamous Kevin Love leaving early to flu symptoms, uh, leading to a team meeting game. We had LeBron James infamously kind of just walking around while while, uh, losing track of slash not caring about his defensive assignment on Paul George. Um, But yeah, like you said, from the get-go, it was... It was all about the Thunder that day. Um, team chemistry was was peaking for the Thunder and was headed in the opposite direction for the Cavs. But like you also said, 148 points was just truly eye popping. That was one of those things where you know you have to, even though you're watching the game, you kind of have to you want to pull up your phone and, and check the score and make make sure that the network's not getting it wrong. Um, every player for the Thunder in their starting lineup was had a, a great plus minus rating. Um, Let's see, Carmelo had a plus 22, and that was the lowest on the team out of the starters. So it was just all about the Thunder that day, and it was great to see them dominate on on national TV like that. Andre Roberson was the only member of the starting lineup who scored fewer than 20 points, and he had a game-high plus 32, plus minus. And Paul George put up 36 points in three quarters. (laughs) You kind of already said it, but this was just OKC's night, and... Even though allowing 124 points is a bad look, it's not a bad look when you rack up as many points as the Thunder did. And this game also just had an absolutely blistering pace of 109.0, which is by far faster than even the fastest team in the league. But moving on from that game, let's talk about their other game against an NBA finalist from last year. Well, they've played a couple of other games against the NBA finalists from last year, but I wanted to talk in particular about their November 22nd win over Golden State. And this was at kind of a rough point in OKC's season, but they managed to hold the Warriors to 91 points. And they managed to hold basically everybody on the Warriors besides Steph and KD to miserable nights from the floor while also getting a 34-point near triple-double from Russell Westbrook. Yeah, that was a very gratifying game to watch. After the first time that Kevin Durant came back to Oklahoma City last year, um, I know Thunder fans were definitely ready to see a redo of that game um, with with the new and improved team this year. Um, We all know how that ended last year with you know a a good individual battle for a while, but then it it turned into a blowout as the – the Warriors were just on a roll. Clay Thompson had an amazing game that night. But for the game this year that uh, you referred to back in November, um, we had not um, as thorough a domination as uh, we just talked about versus the um, versus the Cavaliers. But we did see decent um, all-around production from the starters. 
Um, we had 34, 20, and 22 points for Russ, um, Paul George, and Carmelo, respectively. But I was also um, encouraged with the play of Steven Adams. Um, it seems like no matter what the matchup is, he goes out there and, and really just plays like a grown man. Uh, we saw against Joel Embiid recently, um, and then we see in this game as well, despite the Warriors going to the death lineup sometimes, he was able to maintain good level of production. He finished with 14 points, 12 rebounds, um, a couple steals to boot on 6 of 8 from the line and uh, 4 of 8 from the field. And 37 minutes is not really something that you ex- would expect from a 7-footer, but I don't think Adams is uh, fits in the category of your typical 7-footer. He's about as sturdy as they come, and he's been a very, um, from a national perspective, a very underrated player this year. So now that we've talked about some of OKC's best games this year, I wanted to talk about a couple of their more troubling, shall we say, games. And the first one I wanted to talk about was Carmelo Anthony's quote-unquote revenge game against the New York Knicks, which turned out to actually be him exacting revenge on the Thunder. He scored 12 points on 18 shots and came very close to fouling out. And in the meantime, the Thunder managed to lose 111 to 96 to a Knicks team that basically has gone entirely downhill after that win over the Thunder. Yeah, so for the Carmelo Anthony revenge game, it didn't really live up to the hype. It looks like he only finished with 12 points and five boards with a uh, negative plus minus rating. Definitely not what I expected. I thought that after, um, even though Phil Jackson's gone from the organization now, I thought that he would have a considerable amount of revenge to to throw at the Knicks that day. But it actually ended up being more of a more of a Russ and PG game. Uh, Russ short of a triple double, but um, twenty five seven and seven in that game. And of course, the Knicks were, I don't know, a little bit up and down at the time. Um, definitely beatable. But I think the biggest takeaway from that game, for me at least, was that while the Thunder didn't look that great at that time, uh, they dropped to one game under 500 there. I think that if you play that game again right now, you're dealing with a completely different situation where um, team chemistry has improved. And I think the Thunder right now would beat the Knicks in that spot probably eight or nine out of ten times. Um, One other thing to note is that Steven Adams actually was out for that game. So that um, does go to show you how how valuable he is to the team. It is surprising to me that the Thunder managed to do well on both the offensive and defensive glass, even though, as you mentioned, Steven Adams didn't play in this game. That being said, the Knicks shot 55% from the floor and 61% from deep. The second of those two things is almost entirely luck-related. I mean, you don't shoot that well from three-point range for a game consistently. But not having Adams around did open up the paint a lot for the Knicks in this game, and that led to a lot of issues that probably wouldn't happen in any circumstance with Steven Adams in the game, but certainly wouldn't have happened to this degree at this point in the season. The Thunder have not been below 500 since that loss, and... That loss kind of represented a turning point in the season for them, but a loss that didn't represent a turning point or really anything positive at all for this team. On November 25th, the Thunder scored just 81 points against the Dallas Mavericks, who improved to 5-15 and with that victory. And 
this game was only three days after the really crucial Golden State victory that we already talked about. And this game, Russell Westbrook really showed up to play, and the rest of the team was just miserably bad. Carmelo was actually decent, but Paul George was 1 for 12 from the field. Raymond Felton, who's actually been really solid for the Thunder this season, especially in comparison to Samaje Kristen, shot 2 for 11. And overall, the Thunder just couldn't score against one of the worst defensive teams in the league. They shot 36% from the field. 36%. Wow, that is... I think it's safe to say that is a horrific number, and hopefully that is a season low. Um, you normally will not see Paul George play 40 minutes and only make one shot from the field um, and go 0 of 4 from 3. That's quite surprising. But one thing that does pop to me when I look at this box score, other than the the laughable Paul George 2 points, is Andre Roberson with 0 points. Um, didn't obviously make a field goal or free throw but only two shots, three rebounds. I think that Roberson's a guy where he does need some more involvement on the offensive end um, to kind of get his confidence up and, and make him you know, continue to play excellent on the defensive end. Um, that's also puzzling to see him struggle in, in kind, of a, kind of a really easy matchup there. But Raymond, if Raymond Felton's playing 24 minutes, although he's, he's been decent, like you said, um, you're probably probably safe to say that the Thunder lost that game if you're just looking at a box score and you see that. So I know that they've grown a lot in chemistry since then, but that was one of their, you know, wake up games where, you know, the, all the national media was talking about how they needed to improve this or trade Paul George or all these things. But I think really we can just leave that game in the past if you're the Thunder and know that we've grown a lot since then. Let's move on to talking about the rotations for this team and starting with the big man rotation, but really the big man rotation and the wing rotation overall has been thrown into flux with the recent Andre Roberson injury. The starting front court for almost every game this year has been Carmelo Anthony at the four and Steven Adams at the five. What I think is going to be interesting for this team going forward is what they do with the other front court spot, namely whether they decide to play Paul George at the three, Terrence Ferguson at the two, as they did in the first game after Roberson's injury, or potentially they could slide Paul George up to shooting guard, which is a position that he had played at times in Indiana and could potentially play again if the Thunder decide they want to go bigger in the front court. Do you think Ferguson in the starting lineup at the two is where they're going to stay going forward? Or do you think they might change that starting rotation a bit, given that Ferguson's still only 19? I would say in, in a world where, where we separate the trade market and say the Thunder don't make a trade, I would probably imagine that Ferguson starts most of the games. Um, I guess while he's not necessarily elite defensively or, or anything like that, um, you know, he's, he's got long arms, athletic young guy can, can bring some energy, but he, he still grades out, um, with a, with a poor rating defensively this year. So I guess it'd be one of those things where I'd probably just keep him in the starting lineup. And if he really struggled immensely, then I think you have to go to Alex Abrinas. 
Um, I don't think that Josh Hustis is a solution. He played more of a small forward, power forward type type role in college. So even though you've seen guys across the league like a Damari Carroll um, transition from that like power forward role to more of like a wing three and D guy in the pros, um, while Hustis could potentially possibly do that, I don't think he's there yet. And I certainly wouldn't trust him to guard uh, two guards. So I think at the end of the day, we do need to dabble in the trade market. But as far as Ferguson and Abrinas, probably go with Ferguson. Um, it's it's an imperfect solution, but I don't know. If Abrinas gets hot and gets the hot hand shooting, we could we could look at that too. But I think he, let's see, he grades out with a poor rating as well defensively. So it's kind of a wash there. I'm probably just come down to the hot hand or or who uh, Coach Donovan really wants to see develop more. We will get into the trade market for the Thunder in a minute, but before we do, I wanted to quickly talk about their bench. Now, their starting lineup this year, when they've all been healthy, the starting crew of Paul George, Westbrook, Carmelo, Stephen Adams, and Andre Reverson has been incredible, especially on the defensive end. Their bench, though, is still really spotty. It was something that was spotty last year, but they tried to bolster it with a couple of free agent acquisitions. And the first of those, Raymond Felton, has been okay, but just being okay at backup point guard is such a massive upgrade from last season that I think it really has made a difference to the Thunder being able to survive their bench units being in the game. Yeah, it's kind of odd because when I watch Raymond Felton, I find myself getting frustrated a lot. But there is something to be said about those veteran guards that have been around the league. They they know what their role is and they know how to get others involved. Um, just to to kind of show the other side on that, um, I'm not really sure if he plays the best with Paul George. So I, I'd probably be more interested in seeing the Thunder usually leave Paul George as the star out there that's with the second unit. They let his first rotation be um, longer than the others, get most of the starters out of there and bring in guys like Felton, um, Jeremy Grant, and then Paul George will run with them. But either Raymond Felton needs to maybe try to focus on feeding PG a little more, or I would probably rather just go with Carmelo coming out earliest and then coming back in with the second unit. Um, maybe give Jeremy Grant a long, a long run there. It is worth noting, though, that Felton, while he grades out um, slightly below average on offense, he has an excellent defensive rating, which probably has a lot to do with guarding second unit point guards and things like that and overall good team defense. So it's probably a little skewed, but that does illustrate your point that he's been um, a much needed upgrade at, at backup point guard to Russ. The Thunder's other sizable free agency acquisition was Patrick Patterson. And when he was signed to his three-year deal, I thought that was an absolute steal for the Thunder. I didn't understand why no one else offered him more. But he has struggled with knee issues throughout his career. And judging by how he's played so far this year with the Thunder, it seems like those issues were pretty serious and probably why he only got three years, $16.4 million from the Thunder. He's been good from three-point range. He's shooting almost 40% from deep, 
but he's shooting 33.3% inside the arc and hasn't really contributed much in any area outside of his three-point shooting. I was expecting a lot more from Patrick Patterson this year, and I don't know whether it's injury or whether it's just him not fitting in very well with this team, but he's certainly been a big disappointment. Yeah, I wasn't a huge fan of the signing, to be honest. Um, The three years in particular worried me a bit. I just, I see him kind of regressing and really just kind of being dead weight by that, by that third year and maybe even by next year. Although there is something to be said about his, his play style. It did seem like it'd be a reasonably good backup for Carmelo, uh, just based on the fact they can both space the floor. We've seen Patterson's a guy that can knock down threes and things like that, but he really just hasn't, just hasn't really been anything special this year. Um, if it comes down to more playing time from from either him or Jeremy Grant, I would ten out of ten times take Jeremy Grant. I just think he's uh, you know more athletic, um, brings a lot more to the table than Patterson, who's kind of just relegated to a you know just an occasional spot up shot role and not, and not much else. All right, so let's move on and talk briefly about some trade targets for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Nathan will be writing an article about Thunder trade targets later this week. But instead of going over that article, let's tease it a little bit by going over some potential targets for the Thunder in the upcoming trade market. Yeah, so I do expect the Thunder to be active in the trade market. As we had mentioned before, the Andre Roberson loss is much bigger than a lot of people think. He's one of the best wing defenders in the NBA. And although we do have Paul George, who is also one of the best wing defenders in the NBA and leading the league in steals, um, you know, it's every team doesn't just have one good perimeter guy. And we don't want to put all the burden and pressure on Paul George all the time. So I do expect the Thunder to be active in the, especially with looking for shooting guards um, or guys that can play a little bit of three as well. While there are several notable candidates across the league, one that was very interesting to me was Courtney Lee. You could definitely see the the Knicks um, getting rid of him. They're, you know, certainly don't have big time aspirations to go deep in the playoffs this year. I uh, believe Lee has somewhat of a reasonable contract, and he grades out, you know, pretty solid defensively. He's a guy that's um, great at at spot up shooting. I think he ranks. I want to say it was. Um, I want to say he's was in the top 10 or 20 of the league in spot-up shooting. I'll need to check that. But he's also decent enough on defense that while it wouldn't be a replacement for Roberson, it would definitely be a guy that can take a little pressure off of Paul George. Um, and the fact that he's a good spot-up shooter is going to help when George and Westbrook and other guys are driving to the basket. So it's not like New York would ask for a ton from him. Um, a ton for him. I'm not sure if we would be able to get away with just a, a Ferguson or a Brinus or combination of the two, but we are somewhat limited on draft picks. So it might be easier to, to go for a guy like Courtney Lee. That's not going to, that's not going to cost a whole lot and could, could come in and just be, you know, that, that solid fifth starter, not, not necessarily needing a guy like Tyreek Evans, who's going to be you know, big on the usage and, and need the ball a lot to succeed and, and stuff like that. So Courtney Lee stood out as a, as a pretty solid target to me for the Thunder. But um, who, who are some guys that you were looking at as potential fits? So another 
player in a very similar vein to Courtney Lee is Wes Matthews. Dallas is in the midst of a miserable year, and they don't really have much of a need for someone like Matthews, who's a lot better suited to be a team's fifth starter in terms of offensive role and sort of be a roving defensive player rather than what he's had to be this year, which is a key portion of Dallas Mavericks offense, which predictably has led to Dallas not exactly having that great of an offense. And the Mavericks really don't have much to lose by trading Matthews because he has a player option for next season. That would be $18 million on their books. And given that Dallas doesn't project as a playoff team next year, they don't, have anywhere near as much of a need for him as the Thunder might, especially with Andre Roberson out. Another potential piece for the Thunder would be Garrett Temple. Similar situation in Sacramento to Dallas, but the main difference being that Temple has not been a consistent starter, unlike Matthews, who started all but one of Dallas's games this year. Temple is someone that the Kings might not be willing to trade for minimal assets just because he's been a really helpful veteran leader on the team, but he's someone that could come in to OKC and defend one through three on the perimeter and potentially take some backup point guard minutes away from Raymond Felton, who, while he's certainly been better than Samaje Kristen was last year, has not been as good for most of this season as Garrett Temple has been in Sacramento. Yeah, I think that Garrett Temple would be a a clear upgrade there. Um, A guy that can play some combo guard, he's got some decent size. I think he would definitely be solid, and we know that the Kings would certainly be open to trading him. Uh, Very doubtful. They consider him a long-term piece. And it's, you know, let's be honest, they're the Kings. It's not like they're going for a playoff run or anything like that. Hey, you're talking to a Kings fan here. Be gentle. (laughs) I guess I should be a little more gentle with that, but... I, I do think that uh, Sacramento would be more willing to uh, to trade than a lot of other teams. Um, we've seen them be, you know, all the rumors flying around with George Hill and everything. So you know that they're they're certainly willing to trade almost anybody outside of, I don't know, what would you say outside of uh, maybe Buddy Hield, Bogdanovich, and uh, I don't know, possibly Scal or Willie Cauley Stein. They're definitely not trading De'Aaron Fox anytime soon. Oh yeah, yes. I don't know how I left him out. But yeah, and and I really like Bogdanovich. Um, I know they do as well. They've got Heald, who, um, of course, was called the next Steph Curry. So they obviously value him. Um, that's you know the main piece they got in the Demarcus Cousins trade. So you know that being said, with those guys kind of taking up the one and the two minutes, Garrett Temple's easily expendable, and they should be valuing any young addition that they could that they could get for him. So I, I like that a lot. Another guy who would be an interesting addition that wouldn't be a, a marquee trade or anything like that uh, would be Maurice Harkless from Portland. Um, he's definitely fallen out of the, not fallen out of the rotation, but seen a decrease in his minutes. And at points throughout this year, he actually has fallen out of the rotation completely. But the thing about Harkless is you, you know what you're getting. He's a guy that's a 6'8", um, lanky wing defender known for um known especially for actually being somewhat of a James Harden stopper um while nobody can actually stop James Harden i think that Maurice Harkless is is somebody that's among the most capable 
um, the Blazers, when they play the Rockets, um, deploy Maurice Harkless a lot, actually. And he's not going to be someone that needs to come into this, the lineup, whether it's starting or off the bench, and be a featured guy in offense. Maybe just be kind of a a 3 and D guy, although he's not the greatest at um, shooting threes. He can definitely make his impact on the defensive end. And with so much of the usage going to the the other four thunder, thunder starters, uh, Harkless might might be a nice a nice mix with them and provide provide a little bit of that um, defense and take a little more pressure off of guys like Paul George on the defensive end. All right. Well, we'll save the rest of the trade talks for Nathan's upcoming article. So instead, let's move on to talking about the future for this team and. I wanted to start first by talking about the future for the rest of this season. My first question on the Thunder is, what do you think their chances are of having home court advantage in the Western Conference playoffs being one of those top four seeds? And before the Roberson injury, I probably would have put their chances at around 70% just because they've been so much better since December 15th than they were to start the year. But I think the Roberson injury really does hurt their chances of being one of the top four seeds in the West. I still think they're going to make the playoffs. I still think they're going to make the playoffs pretty comfortably. But we've yet to see just how much their defense will fall off with Roberson out of the lineup. Before the injury, the Thunder with Roberson on the court had a defensive rating in the 96 points per 100 possessions range, which would have been best in the league. And with him on the bench, their defensive rating has been in the 110s, which would be worst in the league. Now, granted, that lineup data is a bit muddy because Roberson played with the starters and the Thunder's starting lineup has been excellent defensively and their bench has been pretty miserable defensively. But I do think that them losing Roberson really does cap their ceiling in terms of seeding in the Western Conference playoffs. Yeah, I definitely would say that's the case. Um, when you do look at some of the off-on numbers with without Roberson, I think the stat you brought up about the defensive rating with him off, um, that that's pretty key to me. And while a lot of that has to do with him being a guy that plays a lot of minutes, meaning that when he's off, there's a lot more second unit guys on, I think that the impact he makes is, is undeniable. Um, he's going to, more times than not, go guard the best opposing wing and of course we're not going to really miss him too much on the offensive end not to be harsh but that's just the reality um as far as on the defensive end though not only was he good at individual individual on ball defense but he really helped the team defense overall so it is really a significant loss and we'll have to see how the thunder can can make a move or or something of that nature to to improve uh, that team defense without Roberson. And in a similar vein to their chances of getting home court advantage, how many games do you think the Thunder will end up winning this year? I would say probably somewhere in the 48 to 50 range. Now, again, this heavily depends on how they will adjust to Roberson being out. But as of the recording of this podcast, the Thunder are 30 and 21, having lost their game tonight against the Wizards. But this team started the year 14 and 15. They were 14 and 15 when they lost that December 16th game to the Knicks. 
And they've just been so, so much better since then that I think even without Roberson, they'll be able to do a lot better down the stretch, certainly, than they had to start the season. Yeah, I think that they've a lot a lot of the issues that were affecting them to start this season were a lot about team chemistry and ball movement. So I, I do agree that it'll be easier for them to improve and ab- absorb the loss of Andre Roberson than it easier for them to do that than it was to get past those chemistry issues. So I think that it's not something to be concerned about on a level of, are we going to make the playoffs? Are, are the Thunder going to make the playoffs or anything like that? And I do think that they should be able to get, you know, get there. Um, as far as getting that four seed, that does look pretty tough. Um, we've got the, of course, the Warriors, Rockets, and Spurs as the top three. Um, the teams right around the Thunder, the Timberwolves and Trailblazers. The T-Wolves are going to be more of a threat, in my opinion. Um, they're sitting in that four seed. And the, with the Thunder only a half game back, it's certainly not unrealistic. But... Since that's been a, a, I guess you could almost say, a potential budding rivalry between those two teams this year with some excellent games, including an OT thriller, I think that that should really be a goal of the Thunder to make sure they do everything they can to get the four seed because in a very likely uh, first-round showdown with the Timberwolves, um, you know, it, it could easily be a series that goes seven, and if that's the case, we want we want. If I'm if I'm the Thunder, I want to make sure that I've got um, home field advantage or home court advantage there. Um, specifically with that Roberson injury, though, um, it does really affect how they match up with the Timberwolves um, with Andrew Wiggins and Jimmy Butler. That's the you know the perfect situation to deploy Roberson and George on defense. So best case scenario would probably be the Thunder getting that four seed and, and facing a team like the Blazers or, or Pelicans. But if it does happen to where they match up with the T-Wolves, uh, the two things I'll have my eye on are how the wing defense matches up without Roberson and then how the, each team plays on the road with that being a series that could likely go seven games. Next up, how far do you think this Thunder team can go in the playoffs? I think that the Thunder have a very good chance of winning their first round series if it's a 4-5 matchup, or even if it's a 3-6 matchup against the Spurs, because if Kawhi Leonard isn't fully healthy by playoff time, this Thunder team is very much designed to be a playoff team. Their bench is pretty thin, and that will matter far less in the playoffs than it has and will continue to in the regular season. That being said, I just don't see this Thunder team having enough to knock off either the Warriors or the Rockets if they made it to the second round. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. Um, a matchup with the Spurs is one I didn't even necessarily consider, but if the Thunder were to drop to the sixth seed and face the Spurs, I definitely like their chances in that matchup. Um, if Kawhi Leonard was out, um, Paul George has an excellent matchup. Guys like Kyle Anderson just aren't going to be able to guard him. While it is a Spurs team coached by Greg Popovich, so there's every reason to be intimidated by them, I think that the Thunder have enough enough talent to win out um, and, and take that series and move to the second round. But in a hypothetical matchup versus the Warriors or Rockets in the second round, 
I I agree with you there. I just don't don't see the Thunder being able to knock them off. I know I've heard a lot of talk about the Thunder being able to compete with the Warriors, and you know they did so well in that um, that game we talked about against the Warriors. But you know, and, and it will be interesting to. I think they have a game upcoming this week versus the Warriors, so it will be interesting to to see that once again. But the Warriors are a whole different animal once they get to the playoffs. I mean, we saw saw them go 16 and 1 in the playoffs last year with just pure domination. And the Rockets having added Chris Paul and just firing on all cylinders right now. I I would have to say those two teams would both be able to beat beat the Thunder, but anything is possible when you've got Russell Westbrook leading your team, although he hasn't had a ton of postseason success. He's of course made it to the finals as as a youngster. And it does seem to find himself in the postseason every year. So, you know, with with an explosive guy, an all star talent like Westbrook leading your team, and Paul George really helping out on on both ends of the ball, I could absolutely see the Thunder beating the Rockets more so than I could see them beating the Warriors. Not sure if I see anybody beating the Warriors. All right, let's wrap up by talking about the off season to come for the Thunder, which is going to be huge in determining the future direction of this franchise. Given how bad the Lakers have been this year and how brutally the Clippers just traded away their superstar in Blake Griffin, I think Paul George's chances of going to LA are lower than they ever have been. And I know I'm saying this to a Laker fan, so apologies in advance, but I just don't see him leaving OKC after this season since everything he has said publicly since he kind of demanded a trade away from Indiana is that all he cares about is winning and winning sustainably. And the Thunder had a rough start to the season. I think that's kind of an understatement, but they've been so consistently excellent since then that if Paul George really cares that much about winning, Either he should try and maneuver his way to Golden State, Houston, or the Celtics, or he should stick around in OKC. And given that the options for him to go to LA are looking a lot less tantalizing than they might have been before the season started, I think it's more likely that he stays in OKC than it's been at any other point in his tenure with Thunder. Yeah. Um, you're actually one of the only people that seem to agree with me on that. Um, everyone seems to think it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to the Lakers. I, I really don't. I would, I would say he has a, at least a 60% chance of, of staying with the Thunder. Uh, like you said, the comments in various interviews throughout the year, it seems to be about once a month or somewhere around that range where, where we hear him say something very positive or whether it's direct or subliminal about how he likes playing with Russ, how he likes Oklahoma City, and how he would, you know, could see himself staying there. He he drops a lot of hints that, if you've been following along, seem like he's continues to lean a little more and more towards the Thunder with each day that goes by. As a Laker fan whose favorite player is Russell Westbrook, <laughs> I'm very very conflicted. I think that if I was Paul George, I would probably stay. Just while the Lakers do have a great, great young core and it is LA, 
I just don't know if I could leave playing with Russell Westbrook. I mean, that's that's an opportunity that's that's hard to walk away from, even though you'd be joining a team with guys like Lonzo Ball, Kyle Kuzma, um, Brandon Ingram, possibly Julius Randle. But, you know, if you're in Oklahoma City, you have Russ, period, and you know that Sam Presti is going to find find ways to acquire to acquire other people. Um, Carmelo Anthony is not going to be a long-term solution or anything. So with that salary off the books, maybe they could, you know, get rid of a guy like Abrinas in a trade. Um, they could easily stumble onto some, some caps, a little bit of cap space, although they're still well over in which they could hopefully build around, uh, Paul George and Westbrook. I guess at the end of the day, it just comes down to if Paul George sees himself winning more long-term in Oklahoma City or Los Angeles. And that reality could be him leaning towards LA just based on the long-term potential of the players I listed. But like I was saying, if you ask me today, I think there's probably a 60% give or take chance of Paul George staying in Oklahoma City, which would be great news for Thunder fans. All right. Anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? Uh, no, I think we've covered about everything. All right. Well, he is Nathan Smith. You can find him on Twitter at Nathan underscore 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 Smith. You can also follow his work on the hashtag basketball website and be sure to check out that piece on OKC trade targets coming up later this week. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And you can find my written work on the hashtag basketball website as well. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review on whatever podcast player you might be using. And if you want to get in touch and give feedback or thoughts on where you might want to see the podcast go with future episodes, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.